Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the program. If you watched our last video or even the last two, you know that we are running new equipment in here. Um, we have been doing some work on the studio um, from new equipment that we were given. And we have spent a little bit more time since the last episode um, tweaking the camera just a little bit more. I still think there's some things we can do with lighting and moving things around here and there uh, to, to continue to improve things. Um, but I had a chance today to somewhat finish up a study I've been doing over the last three or four days, and I guess maybe more now, and, and get down in the studio here and uh, seize an opportunity to record um, what I believe is probably going to be a two-part series. And I would just want to get right to it. And and uh, and what I titled this, as you've already seen now, just by looking at the heading of the video, is Some Things Never Change, a biblical comparison of two dead sons. Now, <laughs> as I've told you before, that, that I enjoy coming up with titles that are maybe a little bit different or intriguing or uh, might make you wonder, what in the world is this guy talking about? So, so some things never change. We've all heard that phrase in our life, and, and usually it's, it's, it's uh, used quite negatively, um, but this is not the case. This is some things never change in a good way, and, and we're going to take two biblical accounts and, and, and compare them side by side of two dead young men. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I don't have some fascination with uh, death and that sort of thing. Um, and this will make sense as we go along. And, and I will say from the very beginning, there, there of course, is a point within um, this series, um, within this study that I have done for myself and for my household, um, there is a point within it that I hope the Father will help me to make clear. But I would say the, the most compelling part about what I desire to share over the next few moments is this, the incredibleness of the Word of God. How, how, how this, this book that we call the Bible is so fascinating. And, and I want to make it very clear from the very beginning to, to caution all of us about whatever increment of this, this um, problem we still have left in our lives, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. We have taken this Word of God, whether uh, on purpose or, or just by doing what we've been handed, and we have done this. We have cut it in half. We have divided it into compartments. And we have been handed a, a, a doctrine that says one is old and one is new. And the old is history, and it's good, and it's kind of cool, and we need to know it. But this, this new, <laughs> this is what you live according to. And friends, I'm going, my endeavor, my hope in this is to, to yet again, in, in, in yet another way, take what I believe is a more full approach to this Word of God and how time and time and time and time again I find the word I'm using a lot for the last several years, the perpetuity of Yahweh's dealings with mankind. And so that's, that's my purpose in this. But, but more, more specifically, I just love talking about the Word of God. It jumps off of the pages to me. And so I want to talk about that for a little bit through these two accounts of these dead young men, these dead sons. And the first account we're going to talk about 
is in 2 Kings chapter 4, and Elisha, the prophet, is on the scene. We don't have time to to get into how Elisha came into the role and function that he did, um, but instead we're going to pick up um, uh, of him him dealing with this situation um, that's very unique. Now, I will have to read a little bit uh, in our two accounts, and the first one, the the Older Testament account is going to be Second Kings chapter four, and the Newer Testament account is going to be Yeshua in Luke chapter seven, and so we're going to take these two instances, these two records that have been given to us, preserved throughout all of time for our good and for our learning, for our for our adding knowledge and wisdom and, and understanding of Father's works, um, adding these things to our life, and we're going to just set them on the table, side by side, next to one another, and see what the Father would teach us. Um, so that is my my desire in this. And 2 Kings chapter 4 is where we will start. And I'm going to, like I said, I'll have to read um, some of the text just to set the table of what we're going to talk about. And I enjoy reading this, and, and I hope you're okay with it, because we're going to read probably 30 verses, maybe 31. And so let's just go ahead and read the text to get started, and then we'll go from there and uh, see where we land. Now, um, This is chapter 4, verse 8. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of Yahweh passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled-up chamber, upper chamber, And let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber, and he rested. Then he said to his servant, and I want to say his name rightly because I believe these things matter. I've heard my whole life Gehazi. And and if you know the program, and, and I'm not trying to be scholarly, or I'm not trying to be you know, properly Hebraic in my understanding. I believe it's honoring to an individual to, if we can figure out what their name was, to say it rightly, to say their name the way they would have been called when they walked the earth. I believe it's a, it's a way, it's a way to honor an individual. Like I said in, a, in an episode a couple times back, I hope nobody calls me Bill in four generations. I hope my great-great-great-grandchildren don't call me Papa Bill. Well, that's not my name. My name is Joel, and it would be ridiculous for anyone to ever, in in generations to come, to call me something different. I say that about the name of Yeshua and the meaning and the substance of it, which we will oddly get to in this um, series as well a little bit. Um, I believe the names matter, so so I'm going to say this name, Gahazi. Gahazi is a more accurate, I'm not trying to make it perfect, but let's just call him by name, shall we? And kind of honor these individuals that are written to us in the Word of God. So, that being said, this man, Gahazi, his servant, um, to this man, Elisha said, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? She answered and said to him, I live among my own people. So he said to her, verse 14, What then is to be done for her? 
And Gehazi answered, Truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. So, so the prophet and the servant are having their own little discourse. They maybe step out in the hallway and talk for a few minutes. And, and Elisha is saying, what should we do? What can we do for this woman who's been so benevolent to us, so kind, so aware of, of who we are and what we're doing, honoring them? And so his servant answered and said, Truly she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of, of Yahweh, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. So the, the, the word of the prophet did come to pass um, in verse 17. Now moving on in verse 18 of Second of Kings chapter 4. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to his servant, Carry him, the boy, the son, to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of Yahweh and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of Yahweh and return. And he said to her, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. Now it's worth noting we're gonna we're gonna extrapolate all this, of course, in mere moments. But she's saying all is shalom, all is fine here, all is peaceful and at rest. It's it's well here. It or it, to use the verbiage clearly, and this will matter in a few moments. It will be okay. It will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and she said to her servant, "Drive and go forward. Do not slow down. The pace for me until I tell you." So she went and came to the man of Yahweh to Mount Carmel. And it came about when the man of Yahweh saw her at a distance that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Okay, here we are again. Are you in, Sh- are you in Shalom? Is everything okay? Are you at peace? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well, okay? It will be well, and now it is well. These things all matter, I believe. Moving on in uh, verse 27. When she came to the man of Yahweh to the hill, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the prophet of God said, Leave her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And Yahweh has hidden it from me, and he has not told me. So she said, Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said, He, Elisha, to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, don't salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him. And lay my staff on the child's face, the lad's face, to be clear. And the mother of the lad said, As Yahweh lives and as your servant, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and he followed her. Then Gahazi passed on before them and he laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was neither sound nor response. So he returned to meet him and he told him, The lad has not awakened. 
When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. Verse 33. So he entered and shut the door behind them both, and he prayed to Yahweh. And he went up, and he lay on the child, and he put his mouth on his mouth, and his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth, and went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. Okay, so let's talk about this and unpack some things for the next few moments, okay? There's a lot in here. I, I shared this with a brother. Now that I mention it, it's probably been two weeks ago when I first looked at this the first time. And I'm just like, man, you got to look at these these two accounts, these two texts with... with um, Elisha, the prophet, and, and the child who had died, the, the young man at the very least, there's some speculation about age, but the son who had died, and then fast forward to Yeshua, and, and he is in a very eerily, uh, eerily similar circumstance um, years later. And that's what I really want to draw out for a little bit. But before we do that, we have to talk about the Second Kings 4 passage. Um, and some of the intricacies within it, because I think it, it, it is very meaningful. And if nothing else, if nothing else, it is one of the most awesome privileges and, and things we have to do, which is to open up this eternal Word of God and, and, and give ourselves to the living and activeness of it, right? So, interestingly, uh, twice, the Shunammite woman speaks of Shalom after the death of her son. The first time we made a quick little note as we read through it, she said it will be well. And then when she when she is actually face to face with Elisha, it is well. There is Shalom is is what she's saying. And her actions would show that because she doesn't show that she's freaking out or or thinking natural. And we'll touch on that here in a minute as well. Um, so to her husband in, in verse 23 of chapter 4, all will be well. And then to Gahazi, he's asking, is it well? And she's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here in the, in the presence of the prophet. Everything, everything's fine. It, it's going to be okay. Now, now I want to pose this. Now, this was not true. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to point her out as like lying or, you know, something bad against her, but... Without getting all into all the text, you'd, you'd have to go back and just slowly read it again. The um, Elisha's response, he 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 lets us know that that's not the truth. It's it's not it's not the case. There is something wrong. There is something that has caused distress at the very least, and he recognizes that. and And as we'll talk about, he he recognized the the issue, but not the specifics of it. He he recognized perhaps that there was a problem. But he said clearly, Yahweh's not shown me like why. He's not shown me the specifics of what's going on. And so why did she say these things about Shalom? Her, her son had just died. Well, she knew that she had to get to Elisha. Um, no one else would do. Now, I want to pose this. Why, why is that, that she wanted to get to him so badly? I would say it's because the prophet was responsible for her even having the son in the first place. <laughs> In, in this sense, and, and please don't scrutinize this and make this like the prophet doesn't have the, the supernatural power and presence to 
bring someone back to life. This isn't about that kind of doctrinal intricacy. Let's just be very general. The, the one who spoke life in the natural man now was the prophet Elisha. And he, by, by his own action and, and the word of his mouth, declared something that was not and it became something real. Okay, so in that sense, the giver of life had the power to restore it. And she knew this. And so I think that's why she had to get to him. And, and her shalom, her peace, was found in going to the same man that spoke this miracle into being in the first place. Her first recorded response was simple. I've got to get to the prophet of Yahweh. And to do so, she would have, to, she would have traveled 20 miles roughly north, riding on the back of a donkey. Now, I'm not here to say that would have taken, you know, 27.7 hours and, you know, archaeologists have found that's just not how I am. I just think it's fascinating to think about it. I did look at a map with my son of where she would have gone to get to Mount Carmel where Elisha was, was residing at the time. So she would have had to ride 20 miles roughly to get to where he was. Now, her situation, of course, she doesn't go find a doctor. She doesn't go find medical personnel in her area where she's living um, in Shunem. So what did she do? She went to the source, is what I'm trying to say. The source of life, which in this case was the prophet Elisha. He was the man used by Yahweh to do something supernatural and to speak it into, into being from nothing. It's a biblical pattern. We see that in many different places. Um, I don't believe that she was trying to mask um, her, her condition or, or ignore the situation. No, I'm fine. You know, a lot of times we can cope better that way. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. I'm great. God is good. You know, we, I'm not saying she's doing that. I think there's a much greater purpose in her response and her verbiage accordingly. She wanted to get to the prophet. The, the source, we could simplify and at least say this, the source of the circumstance was Elisha, right? So in verse 27, we see what? Um, Elisha recognized that there was distress. Leave her alone. Because, you know, here's Gehazi. He's trying to run her off. Again, we see that all throughout the New Testament as well. Well, when people are trying to approach Yeshua, whether it's, it's children or a leper, leave him alone. Get out of here. And what did he say? Whoa, 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 whoa. Here you are again. Y'all don't get it. Bring them over here. He, you know what he probably said? Hey, hey, Peter, get out of the way. Let that, come on, just push him out of the way and come talk to me. That's probably how it went many times. But Gahazi's trying to push her away, literally. Um, but Elisha says, leave her alone. Her soul is troubled within her. And he goes on, I don't know why. Yahweh's not shown me why, but I can see. Was it prophetically? Was it just a natural man knowing the, the emotion of a woman who just lost her son? I don't know. It doesn't much matter. But he assesses that, no, she is in distress, and, and there's something that needs to be done. He just didn't know what exactly had caused it. Now, now, when the mother speaks of her son to Elisha, it would seem that he became aware of his death. Um, we're not told that she told that she informed him of this. We're, we're not told anywhere in Scripture. And that's one thing I want to talk about within this is we're very presumptuous that, well, we know these accounts for the most part. And if we're not careful, we'll be presumptuous and we'll make assumptions based on what the text does not say. 
There's a lot of things that I find that like I'll read it. I'll read an account like this or others that are maybe even more familiar. And I'll say something in my head and I'll look for the text to back up what I think I already know it says. And I'll be like, wait, that's not even in there. We're not even told X, a certain specific a lot of times within an account. It's not even in there. (laughs) And I found that to be the case many times within this uh, study that I did as well. And so did Yahweh tell the prophet? We don't know, but it moves, something moves him to action because she, she in verse 28 references, did I ask you for a son? So like, okay, so all of a sudden he's saying you're distressed. There's something problematic here. She's, there's something wrong. She says she's at Shalom. I'm not sure. She doesn't look like she is, but I don't know why. She references her son and Elisha, for whatever reason, starts tracking with what she's saying. And again, we're not told she said, my son died. How dare you? We're not told she said that. Let's not read into the text. Um, But didn't I tell you not to deceive me? So verse 29, ah, all of a sudden, we see Elisha take action. He, He starts to, okay, now the pieces are maybe coming into place a little bit more for him. Um, it moves him to action, whatever the case, in verse 29. Um, and so let's not just, let's just assume, let's be careful with what we assume. Um, and just read the text and let it be our, our source. Um, some other thoughts before moving on that I wanted to mention. This is very strange about the father. I, I got hung up as a father, as, a, as and this is interesting, right? Because like, we only have a family of three. If you know us personally, uh, my wife and I thought we didn't want children. And so we didn't have our son till later in life. Um, he was not something we thought we wanted. Well, we were couldn't have been more wrong. It was the biggest blessing, of course, we've ever had. But we have a family of three, my wife, myself, and my son. And so I can kind of relate to this a little bit. And so when I was reading this text about the father, I was very thrown off by his disregard and, and, and seemingly disinterest with the situation at hand. And then I got to thinking about, well, okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. The The father is out in the field. I, I try to imagine myself, we have acreage here and we do a little bit of farming, not really like much, but, you know, I get the gist of it, right? And I understand like how it, how it works. And um, with our property here, if my son and I are out on the other side of our 10 acre property and and we're we're doing we're trimming i don't know blackberry bushes i don't know and and it's 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 august and it's hot and because this kind of lends to like a heat stroke type scenario they're out they're out presumably reaping the harvest and you know we know it's where it is in the earth it's hot and so it would lend to, like, let's say this scenario for me, it's August here, and it's it's blazing hot, and my son and I are out working in our pasture, and he forgot to wear his hat, and, and, and all of a sudden he starts having a horrible headache, and he looks deathly ill, and my response, if I act like this father in the, in the second Kings passage, is I call for my neighbor and have him take him up to the house to my wife. And so I started asking questions like, well, this is really weird. This is really strange that, that a father would, would be experiencing this with his son. Even in that cultural understanding, the little bit I know about it, it would have been very abnormal for him to just call for someone else, just take the boy up there 
um, if it was something uh, of such grave concern, or maybe, I guess, to be fair to him, maybe it didn't seem concerning. Maybe it didn't. He just thought he had a headache and maybe he was dehydrated. I don't know. I don't want to place something on this guy that, that is um, not true. But, but that alone would maybe make room for me wondering about this father. But then I thought about the, the presentation of this couple um, with Elisha. And because we're told about this, this what? This woman, um, this prominent woman. She's a great woman. She's a revered woman and her husband. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this revered woman who, who recognizes the, the prophet of Yahweh and, and wants to do things for him and help him and give him food and give him a place to rest and recognizes his coming and going. And she is a prominent woman in the, in the land. Oh, and by the way, she has a husband. You understand what I'm saying? He's he's kind of like in the shadows at best. Where where is he? Where is he in the seeing and recognizing the traveling of the prophet? Where is he when the son is deathly ill um, out in the field? I, I just I had many questions towards that, and so I, I the why do I bring that up? Number one, I just like I like examining the Word of God. Kind of nerdy like that. But I just wonder if the son was just not quite spiritually covered as he should have been. Um, and, and this father taking his rightful place in the role of his home. It's just a question. It's just something I like to talk about and think about and just wonder. What do you think? I don't know. And, and, and let me say this, and, and then we're going to end this, make it part one, and then we'll get to the Luke 7 passage. I want to mention this too. Many believers, and here it is, it's 2022, we're so far removed from Older Testament understanding, and, you know, that's just kind of a, a, a world that maybe we've seen in, in a movie or in, you know, some cartoon flip book when we were in Sunday school in 1979. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We're so far removed. I always reference it as the felt board understanding from Sunday school. Well, Here's prophet Elisha, and he's, you know, riding along, and here's the dead boy, you know. And, like, that's kind of a lot of times where our, our Older Testament understanding has, has stopped. It's stunted. Um, and, so, and, and so here we are now, and, and many people, many people, many awesome godly people would, would say, or maybe not say, but say without saying, if you know what I mean, that we're just kind of— we're not really in the signs and wonders place. I mean, you may you may watch this and say, "What? Signs and wonders? Like that's like that's the New Testament reality." Well, it takes some explaining. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even bring it up, but here's my whole point of why I do. I think a lot of people, and I've seen this in the Torah community as well that I've come into the last I don't know how long now two two and a half three years I don't I lose track of time. And, and, and I think, well, why am I saying that? We look at this, this action, the literal activity that this prophet did. And I, I would say, I would propose to you, if we looked at this through a modern day lens, and you had a son that died in, the, in your pasture, and this a very similar scenario, and he's back at your house, he's dead now, dead. And let's just say you knew of a man of God. I mean like a true, whether whether you want to call him a prophet or just a godly, righteous, 
mature man with faith and like looks even a little bit like Yeshua. I'm just saying, we are so, we are so, we're so exalted now. Like, oh, well, you know, we, I'm saying, would we consider that? Would we consider calling the man of Yahweh Elohim and saying, come and do anything that my son might live? Now, again, to be clear, she does not ask the prophet to raise her son from the dead. She doesn't. She doesn't ask him that. She simply says, I would say, paraphrased, you created this circumstance by the word of your mouth, (laughs) and now he's gone. You need to say something to this matter. You got to, not you have to do something, but if this is going to make any sense, it's going to come from you because you were the source. You were the origin of this, this boy, this offspring of my very being. The only reason he's here is because you spoke it to be so. So let, let's just take it for what it is and say in our present moment circumstance, however it comes about, are we willing ourselves or to allow room for any other individual to do anything like this man Elisha did. This man, man, a living flesh and bone man that if you flicked his arm, he'd say, ow, thousands of years ago, more righteous than I will probably ever be. Yeah, all these things. Yes. But a man moved by the unction and oracle of Yahweh Elohim, walking in signs and wonders and doing some things that we would deem crazy. That's just ridiculous. Laying, I mean, do we need to read it again? Laying on the child, putting your mouth on the child's mouth, putting your eyes to his eyes and his hands to it. Do you understand this scenario? Are you visual like me? We would say, ah, foolishness. The boy's dead, you know. I think it would do us well in our new enlightened understanding, wherever we are in our doctrines and beliefs, to say, you know what? Maybe we could use a little bit of that. Maybe we could use a little bit of that faith and and, and things that seem kind of crazy right now. Now, we have to be careful. There's plenty of crazy. There's plenty of wildness. There's plenty of <coughs> just over-the-top ridiculous signs and wonders, everything. It pops up on my phone every time I look at it in a public forum. There is ridiculousness at every turn. But that does not negate the real. It doesn't negate the real. It's no excuse to cast it all out because it's it's being abused. Are we willing to be foolish? Now, I'm not saying go duplicate this pattern, all these things people want to make something it's not. In the specifics, are you saying we need to go lay on dead children and put their mouth? No, I'm not saying that. And it, it's ridiculous that I have to say that so no one says that's what I'm saying. Is this a ludicrous proposal to have faith like this prophet Elisha? I, I would kind of, I would say I need that in my life. I need a good dose of that in my life. I'd like to be a man who somebody could look to and say, you know what? Would you come pray for my boy? Even if he's sick, he has cancer. You know, like, pray for my wife, okay? It doesn't have to be this outlandish circumstance of, of, of life or death. Are we still postured to, to be like Elisha, say, you know what? 
I may not know everything about this because the Father's not shown me. Yahweh's not shown me every last detail of this circumstance, but I can tell there is distress here. And I want to listen to what you're saying and wait for Yahweh to speak. And so there's a little bit about 2 Kings chapter 4, 8 through 37 specifically. One biblical example, one account, one record of a dead son. Okay? And so we've looked at that. We've kind of set that up. We, we've revealed it a little bit of what that is. And the title of this message, again, is Some Things Never Change. So what we're going to do next, the very next episode, Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17, if you want to read ahead. There's not much to it. It's, very, it's even an add-on within most subheading texts within the, the Bible. It's, it's, not even, it's not even given a heading in most cases. But we're going to compare the two, and we're going to look at something that I believe ties this all up together and allows the Word of God, like I started this, that that we have done this, and we've said, eh, I don't know so much about that. Don't understand all that Old Testament. I'm a New Covenant man. And we're going to take it, and we're going to allow these two accounts, these two biblical comparisons, to help present us a little bit more of the whole. So that's the goal. This is Some Things Never Change, a biblical comparison of two dead sons. You've been watching the Path to Zion podcast. We are rediscovering the ancient way, man. The ancient way is being unveiled, revealed to so many people right now. It blows my mind. I am thankful to, in any measure, be, be one. So how are you towards that? I hope you're well, and I hope you're, you're listening to what the Spirit is saying. Reach out to us anytime. Go to pathdesign.com. You can find all of our audio recordings there. Of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, reach out to us via email if you've got anything you'd like to tell us. Ask us about, challenge us towards, help us add understanding to something that we lack it in. That's fine. Pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for watching. Amen.